he deserved or could ever get in the natural. And you know, God loved Jacob. I'm not going to go into why and all the rest of that right now. I'd love to, but I'm not going to do that. I'm fascinated by his birth. I'm fascinated by his life. He's a right schemer from start to finish. But there's a time when God actually backs him into a corner and says, Jacob, this is it. And he's visited in the night. He's about to see his brother that he's not been actually on very good terms with for very many years, and he doesn't know how it's going to go. And he's terrified for his life. And God meets him in the night. I think it was an angel that came. Some people think it was probably a manifestation of Jesus himself. I'm not going to fall out with you theologically on that. We're probably both wrong. But as mostly we probably are a lot of the time. But he met God that night in whatever form it was. And he's having this wrestling match with the Lord. Do you ever wrestle with the Lord? Looking a bit serious. Well, I tried, but I never won yet. And Jacob wasn't going to win either. Yet he kept pressing through. And the angel, let's say it's an angel, said, look, he's getting near the morning. We've got to bring this to an end. And Jacob's not going to bring it to an end. He's wrestling on, and the angel or whoever touches his thigh and dislocates his thigh, so his wrestling is really over for the night. But this is the bit I want you to catch this morning. He said this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hey, Jacob, hang on a minute. Who do you think you are? You've lived a life desperately trying to get, to get, to get. But you see, deep within his spirit, something had to cling on. And I'm going to get the blessing. Whether I deserve it, whether I was born right or not, I'm going to get the blessing. And he hung on and he hung on. I don't know why the angel didn't touch his fingers and that would be the end of that. But no, he, he stopped his wrestling, but he didn't stop his clinging on. He said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I mean, Jacob, who do you think you are? God says, I know who you are. I know the spirit in you that won't let go. And I want to say to you prophetically this morning, God is saying to you, don't let go. Hang on in there. Yeah, you, you might feel you're out of joint. You might feel you've missed it. You, you've not won the battle. Don't let go. And he hung on, and he hung on, and he hung on. And God said, Jacob, I will bless you. And actually, I'll change your name from being a, a, a supplanter, a twister, always trying to grab and get. And I'm going to change it to Israel. What does that mean? Prince with God. What a change. God wants that for you. Hold on. 
Keep hanging on. Say, God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. How can you talk to the Almighty like that? Well, Jacob did. And he was under an old covenant. And he got the blessing. God wants to bless you as an individual. He wants to bless you as a church. And if you hang on, you just hang on. I will not let you go until you bless me. And I believe something's got to rise in our spirits that goes beyond what even we might even imagine, beyond what what we think and how we ought to talk to God. I tell you these days I get very, very, very presumptuous with the Lord. I say, God, if you don't, you know, I'm like those guys on the walls of Jerusalem. Lord, if you don't actually come and make Zion a praise in all the earth, well, I'm not going to shut up until you actually come and do it. And God didn't wipe them out. I believe God loves that sort of heart that says I won't let you go until you bless me so stay in there keep hanging on even if your hip is out of joint yeah God will bring us to the end of our own strivings and our own cleverness but if you're hanging on there God bless me bless me bless me And Father, I pray that you bless these lovely people here in front of me right now in these days that they'll keep clinging on to you and they'll inherit the blessing and they'll hear their names changed to Prince, Prince with God, Israel. So let it be, Lord, in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Martin. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You know, some of us need... Yes, please. (laughs) Some of us need a change of name in our hearts, don't we? Because we've got an image of being of a certain way. And God wants to change our name. You know, maybe we felt rejected and we own that identity. But God is calling us to move from that place to a place of being accepted. So we begin to see ourselves as new creations. And just as Jacob had to have his name changed to be the man of God that God wanted him to be. So sometimes we need to have a change in our image, a change in our sense of identity so that we can be all of what God wants for us. Amen? And some friends of mine, we meet together and he says, we can share our hearts together because we are men with a limp. (laughs) And sometimes when you're broken in God... And when something about you shows quite clearly that, you know, you're not the macho person that you'd like to be. There's something of meekness and something of attractiveness about that brokenness. And so I think that Jacob was a different man after he got his limp than he was prior to his limp. So if you're wearing a limp, whatever that might mean for you, rejoice in it. Give God glory for it. Because God is using that in order for you to get to where he wants you to go. If I want to share, I just want to kind of tidy up a few things because uh, a little bit of feedback from what I've shared over the last couple of uh, days. Um, two things have come up. The, the chart I showed about the contrast between the carnal mind and the renewed mind, some folks have struggled with that, and understandably because we find ourselves in both camps quite often, don't we? And often in the left-hand camp, which is the carnal mind camp. 
And, uh, and the last thing I want us to get across is that I want to bring condemnation or a sense of, you know, you're a failure if that's what you feel you are all the time. Because the reality is I'm in that left-hand chart many times. But, but the point I'm trying to bring across in that chart is to give us a goal, give us an ideal, give us something to aim for because that's what God's grace is going to give you the capacity to do, to change that place, to take us from the place of being carnal in our thinking to having a renewed mind. And that can only be granted by the grace of God. It can only be granted when we say, Lord, I can't escape this carnal mind. I'm like Paul in Romans 7, what I want to do, I find I don't do, and those things I do do, I find that I, 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 I can't, and I'm confused, Lord, I just, I'm frustrated, and I understand where you're at in that. But God wants to give you the grace, because he concludes in Romans 8, doesn't he? But thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, my Lord, I can live in the victory, and we can live in that place. So don't be discouraged if you found yourself in the left-hand side, God is giving you grace when you cry out to him because it's about awareness, isn't it? I'm aware that I'm carnally minded. Lord, I'm alarmed by it, like Isaiah. Lord, I'm undone. I've seen the glory of the Lord. And in that crying out, grace is given to go into the renewed mind place. And the second one was about, um, I linked my talk on pride with the word disappointment. And some of you, I understand, have felt a little bit, well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, there's disappointment, pride. Surely it's right to be disappointed if my kids are not going on with the Lord, or it's disappointed if this happens and that happens. Yes, I fully understand that on a human level. And yes, we all get disappointed. And yes, I'm sure the Lord gets saddened by certain things too. But the point I'm bringing about, or why I linked it to pride, is because if that disappointment causes me to doubt God, or if that disappoint me, disappointment causes me to get uh, disillusioned or frustrated or wanting to give up, what has that disappointment done? It's disconnected me from God, hasn't it? If the disappointment drives me to the Lord and says, Lord, I'm disappointed, but you're in control. I'm disappointed, but you're the master of creation. You can do the miracle. I trust in you, Lord. Then the disappointment has driven me to Jesus and is no longer pride. But if it drives me away from God, I'm relying on myself, my understanding, or the other person rather than God. And therefore, it comes into the bracket of coming under pride. Can you see that? So please don't feel, again, that I'm knocking you in any way. I just want us to get to a place of alertness and awareness. Somebody once said, don't take me off the cross until I fully died. Meaning that when God reveals something to us, and it's like as if we're on the cross and we're having to suffer a confusion or a frustration or have awareness of this, that, and the other, we need to allow ourselves to be on that cross until we've died. And God may be revealing things to your heart that are causing some disconcern within you and, and, and a sense of, oh, I'm not sure about that. But it's causing you to die to certain things that might link to pride in order for us to come to a place of total surrender to Jesus, totally living for his glory. Okay, amen. If there's any other confusions, please come and chat to me. I hope I'm approachable. And uh, just let me hear your heart so I can share with you and maybe pray with you if that seems right. Okay, so we're coming to our final talk, which is breaking through into a new era of subduing and dominion and where 
do we go from here? The answer is, I don't know. Okay? And I say that unashamedly because I want Jesus to be the director of where we go from here. But we've been given, as human beings, a dominion mandate. And I just want to show you that from the scriptures here. There's work today. So I, did, I didn't plug this thing. <laughs> and God blessed them, this is Genesis 1.28, and said to them, be fruitful. That is, bear the fruit of the Spirit for us. And multiply, reproduce disciples. And fill the earth, engage in local evangelism, becoming known for your goodness in your workplace or town, and subdue it. Put down evil and being a gate to good in your workplace or town and have dominion. Affect your whole region for Christ. Can you see how that links into the wheel that Ben shared with us yesterday? This is what God is calling us to do as a church and as individuals. By the grace of God, we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Many of us, maybe all of us, and we can bear more and more of that fruit by the grace of God. We've been re reproducing disciples. The fact that we're here today means we're disciples. So we've been reproducing disciples. Let's continue to do it and go deeper and deeper with the Lord. Filling the earth. This is now the calling of God. This is now part of the new era. This is stepping into that place of local evangelism. And what's that going to look like? Dismiss all the stuff that's gone in the past. The Holy Spirit's going to give you a blueprint for what local evangelism looks like. And it's going to be his blueprint, his plan, his uh, method, as it were, of being able to touch your community with Jesus' love. Subdue it, putting down evil, being a gate to good in your workplace. In other words, we're coming into an era where we can subdue in Jesus' name, where we can speak to the evil in our society, and we can cause gates to open where gates are not there, and gates to close where gates shouldn't be opened. Because in Jesus' name, we carry the grace, we carry the power, we carry the victory in Christ. For in, in Him, we can do all things. Who is our strength? That's where we're getting to. And this last one, having dominion, affecting whole regions for Christ. You know, if you read and you watch some of those uh, videos, the um, transformation videos, you remember the story of Alma Longa going back a couple of decades now, where God transformed the whole region simply because a dominion mandate was followed through. And I believe at the end of our e new era, as it were, we will get to a place where the whole region is being influenced for Jesus. From the children, to the young people, to the older people, to those who are down and out, to those who have uh, middle class jobs, whatever it is, they're going to be affected by this love of Jesus. And that's what our birthright, amen, that's our birthright in God as a fellowship, and we're coming into that dominion mandate. Amen. Somebody once said that when we reflect upon the whole kingdom theology of the kingdoms now and not yet, have you heard that expression? The kingdom of God is now and not yet. It was Randy Clark, I, I heard a little podcast a few weeks ago, and Randy was saying that we're living between D-Day and V-E-Day. Now, I don't know if you know what we mean by that. Some of you youngsters may not know what I'm talking about. But during the Second World War, there were three major events. There was Dunkirk, because uh, everybody was in retreat and, and terrified and all running back into Britain because they were all trapped in France. 
And it was an amazing miracle that that occurred in itself. And then flip forward to D-Day when there was an invasion from our shores into the enemy's territory and great sort of uh, warfare took place and everything was involved in terms of weaponry and personnel and they pushed the enemy back and eventually in 1945, I think it was July, was it, or was it August 95, I can't remember, but they, they came to the end of the Second World War and it was called VE Day, VE standing for Victory in Europe. And in a sense, you see, when we get to glory, when we eventually find the battlefields have been gone quiet because there's no longer a battle, because victory, total victory has been accomplished, we'll be with Jesus. That's V-Day. But for now, we're in D-Day. We're not in Dunkirk, because Dunkirk was retreating and all battening down the hatches and thinking how terrified and pathetic we are. But D-Day was the time where the Allies rallied. They were given lots of support by the Americans and so on. You remember your history? And they invaded the uh, occupied territory areas in France and drove the enemy back. And that's where we are now. That links into the Dominion mandate, doesn't it? It links into this filling the earth. It links into subduing it. It links into having dominion. Because we're coming towards V-Day. And God's grace is upon us to do whatever it takes to take the land for Jesus. Hallelujah. So we're entering our promised life as individuals and as a church. God's call to the Israelites was to get them to their VE day, which was their promised land, if you remember, and entering into that rest that God had promised them. They'd made a long journey from Egypt all the way through the deserts to eventually get to um, Mount He, uh, what is it? The, the, the mountain, uh, I was there the other, a few years ago. Nebo, 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 Mount Nebo. And Moses was on Mount Nebo. And I stood there in 2016. It's an amazing experience. And I watched, and you could see the River Jordan coming down into the Dead Sea and beyond that Israel. And I thought to myself, what would it have been like? to have stood on Mount Nebo with Moses and the whole Israelite army, with millions of them. And you can imagine the other people who were occupying Israel at the time looking with terror at this army ready to invade and cross their Jordan into their promised land and take the city by city by city till they got there. That was their D-Day. They were coming into V-Day. Can you get me? Got the picture? Mistakes, of course, and detours were made, but finally they entered subdued their enemies and exercised dominion under Solomon's reign. And Solomon probably was the, the height of victory, you could say, for the Israelites. And of course, sadly, Solomon went off with other wives and there was great um, judgment by God and eventually they were all taken into exile. But God is showing us a picture there of what he's doing in the new covenant today. And I just got this little illustration here to try and help us see. There's a map of the journey that they took. And you can see in the red lines, I know it's not perfect, and no doubt some uh, theological, ge geographical theologians might disagree with the exact pathway, but don't worry about that. We, th th there's some really interesting uh, observations to see here. There they are over in Ramesses. I wonder if this thing works. Hang on a minute, let me see if it does. Yes, it does, hallelujah. So there they were up in, in uh, Egypt, and they had to take this journey through the Red Sea. And then they came down to Mount Sinai. And then they went up towards here. Then they got to this little town called Kadesh. 
Barnea. And it was at that point in Kadesh Barnea where um, the, Moses and Joshua said, look, I want you to send uh, the 12 spies into the land. Moses it was, and 12 of them went in. 10 came back with an unfavorable report, but Joshua and Caleb came back with a good, positive, faith-filled report. But because of the disobedience and the unbelief, they had to come and wander all the way down here back into this wilderness for 40 years. And then they got to a place where they were at Mount Nebo to cross over into the Jordan. And I want to sort of take each point because in the Old Testament, they use various feasts to mark that journey. So the first feast was the feast of Passover, as you remember. And at Passover, the angel of darkness uh, passed over, the angel of death, I should say, passed over the houses where the blood was daubed on the, the lintels and the doorposts and visited all the firstborn of the Egyptians with death. And that was Passover. And it was a symbol of the blood of Jesus covering our lives. And so we are delivered from sin by the power of salvation. That's the first point on our journey, isn't it? And we've all experienced that. And if you haven't experienced it, you can even today. Because Jesus is here to bring salvation by the blood of his son upon your life and deliver you from sinfulness and from a condition which will damn you to hell. But God's grace has saved us by the power of the blood. And then God called them to leave Egypt with all the possessions that they took from the Egyptians and they marched across the desert towards the Red Sea. And of course, we know the story. Pharaoh changes his mind and he starts to pursue after them. And eventually they get to the brink of the Red Sea and they're all terrified because they could see not many miles back this army pursuing them with certain death following. And they cried out to Moses and Moses cried out to God and God says, open your staff wide in your arms and I'm going to cause a mighty east wind to blow and the waters will part and you'll be able to go through on dry land. And so eventually they come out and they cross the Red Sea. And they celebrate on the other side the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I could preach sermons in each one of these, but I'm not going to say much about it today, except that they cleanse their lives from sinfulness. That's what leaven symbolizes in the Old Testament. It's a symbol of sinfulness. And they swept out any trace of leaven. And in fact, the, 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 the mum and dad would play games with the children and they'd hide little bits of leaven in different parts of the houses and the kids would all go and find it. And they'd put it in the middle and they'd sweep it out of their house as if to say, we want to be for Jesus. We want to, well, for Jehovah, for any of those days. We want to be for Jehovah. We give our whole passion, our whole lives to him because we have, he's delivered us from certain death from the Egyptians. So they come through the Red Sea and they're on the other side. And this is a type of old life cut off by the burial of water baptism. And down they go and eventually they get to Mount Sinai and they receive the law and they celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And that's a type of being empowered by baptism in the Spirit and the law is written on our hearts. Isn't that amazing? If you receive the Spirit, the law has been written on your hearts. You've got the capacity. You've got the inner motivation. You've got the inner bias towards God, not towards sin. And even though sin may tempt us, we have a strength within us that says, No, the laws of God are written on my heart. And I can be for Jesus. And there's no reason why I can't in any fashion. That's the power of the salvation that God has brought to our lives. 
And then, of course, they have to go north. They can't go north to where they're supposed to go to because that's where they were aiming for, but God let them down there. It seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? But they had to get to a place of complete emptiness, of complete brokenness, of complete dependency upon God in order to go forth to their promised life. And so they have to go through a God-ordained wilderness journey, transitioning from the old to the new. They had to forget about Egypt. They had to sweep Egypt out of their houses. Is setting us free by radical discipleship. So as we commit to one another in covenant love, we are discipled by God to be brought to a place of readiness. Don't forget, all of these things means they still haven't come to the place they're supposed to get to. We cannot afford to say, I've been saved, that's it. I can swan off and do as I please now. We can't afford to say, well, I've been even bought or baptized. I can swan off and do as I please now. No, can't even, not even baptism in the Spirit, not even getting the Lord on our hearts, not even discipleship. That still isn't the place where God wants us to get to. Ultimately, they're all very, very, very important steps on the way, but they're all coming to a place where we've got to get to. Sadly, the consequences of the strongholds of fear, unbelief, and double-mindedness meant they rejected their final feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles, and I'll come back to that in a moment, which is the consequences of fear, pride, independence, misalignment, and strongholds, all the stuff I covered yesterday. We cannot afford to allow our hearts to get into that stuff because it will stop you from getting to your promised life. It'll stop you from entering into the unknown track that'll take you to your new destiny, the new era that God has prophesied that we're going into. But eventually, they get to a place. They're now a people prepared to enter their promised land and celebrate their Feast of Tabernacles. In other words, they came to a place where they were ready to subdue and exercise dominion. And that is what SCF is coming to. It's coming to a place, it already has tasted it many times, no doubt. But we come into an extra dimension, a new era of being able to subdue and have dominion over whatever is preventing Jesus from being Lord in our lives and in the communities that, we, that surround our church. God is bringing us to that amazing place. So you might be thinking, well, what do we mean by this tabernacle stuff? Well, the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles, it was celebrated after the final ingathering of crops at harvest time in the Jewish calendar. It was the last harvest of the year. Now that points, doesn't it, to certain end-time thoughts. Antitypically, it represents the final ingathering of souls during the end times. But it's got another more hidden meanings as well, as we'll see. It was, it was a celebration of the end of having to dwell in tents because the word tabernacle is another name for the word tent. And they had to pitch their tent and then pull it down and go another part of the journey and then put their tent up again and pull it down and keep going. And I guess they got a bit fed up of living in tents, as I'm sure if you've lived in a tent or a caravan for too long. As they journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, antitypically this represents three things. When the journey of life for a Christian ends, when Christ returns for his bride, and when a Christian or church enters their prophetic destiny, having experienced all that is required to make them eligible to leave the wilderness of preparation and enter abundance. God is bringing this church into a place of abundance, abundant grace, abundant love, 
abundant provision. And that's what you're coming into. Are you going to get more excited than that? Because if you really believe this stuff, you'll be thinking, Jesus, thank you so much. That's what it's all about. I want to be on this unknown path. I want to go forward in all that it means. I'm prepared to crucify my flesh and embrace the cross of Christ so that I can get to wherever God is calling me to. Because it's worth it, Lord. We're coming into our promised land. We're coming into our Feast of Tabernacles. We're coming into a place of victory. This is V-Day. Hallelujah. That's what God's bringing us to. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is a, a covenant-keeping God. He covenanted to be your God. We covenant to be his people. But we also covenant together to love one another in the covenant grace of God. Amen? And we are becoming this covenant people. We're becoming the people who, in the name of Jesus, will put to death everything that prevents this covenant love from flowing one to the other. We want to give him this heart's desire that they may be perfectly one, as you, Father, and I are perfectly one. That's what God is bringing us into. And now is the time for us to really declare whether we believe it or not. I did say we will have a, a, a cross-the-line type of ending, didn't I? Now, I'm not going to get you to cross this white line. That's for the tennis guys, isn't it? But <clears throat> I am wanting us to do something that says, Lord, brothers and sisters, I'm on board with you. I'm on board with you. You might be thinking, well, I kind of... Going with this a little measure of trepidation, I understand, you know, but as I said yesterday, we want, nobody's going to be left behind. If you want to come on the journey, nobody's going to be left behind. So I'm not going to want you to stand up. I'm sure some will want to do this, you know, because we're so passionate about it, and that's great. But I recognize that others of us are a little bit more cautious and need a little bit more time to really come to that place of a solid, amen, 100%, bro. But I'm sure all of us here with the love for God and the love for this church is saying, I'm on board with you. I'm on board with you. I might be in the back of the train, but I'm off, I'm off the platform. I'm getting on the train. I'm not going to be up the front carriage quite yet, but I'm in the back carriage and I'm okay with that. All right? Maybe I'll come forward as we go on the journey. But I'm on board with you. And if that's your heart, I just want us all to stand for a moment anyway. We're not going to come to the curtain part yet. This, by standing, all you're doing is saying, yeah, I'm going to listen to what Martin's asked. <laughs> okay, so I want us just to come before the Lord and close our eyes, okay? This is a moment of consecration, a moment of commitment, a moment of declaring to God, first and foremost, that you're on board with what he wants us to do in terms of treading this unknown path that leads us into a new era. So guys and girls, if you're like me, I'm just going to put my hand on my heart. Eyes are closed, so if you don't do it, you needn't feel embarrassed. But at the same time, if you really mean business with God and you're wanting to declare before him that you are taking this step forward, you're crossing this line of commitment to say, I'm on board with this, I'm going for it, then join me and put your heart, hand just over your heart as a symbol before God that you really are serious about being part of this new thing that God's bringing us into. And I'm going to just pray for us right now. Thank you, Jesus.
Father, this is a, a serious moment, a significant moment. Father, we are declaring before you, all those of us with our hands on our heart, that we're on board with the essence of this prophetic call that we all witness to as being from you. You're calling us, Father, to a greater alignment with your word. You're calling us, Father, to do dealings with our flesh, to crucify our prides, to put on the cross our unforgivenesses, our fears, our limiting beliefs, our strongholds. Father, you're calling us to draw a line in the sand, as it were, and to cross over it and say, yes, I'm on board with all that you want to do. Use me, Father. Help me to support all that you are doing. Help me to give my life for the cause of the gospel of grace and the cause of the establishment of your kingdom rule. Lord, do it first in my heart. Do it first in my life. Father, I empty myself of everything so that I can be filled up entirely by your love and by your grace. Father, it's all about Jesus. We love him so much. We want to be carried along by him. We want him to run through us in our relationships. We want to form a covenant bond with you afresh today. We want to form a covenant bond with our brothers and sisters afresh as this church today. And Lord, we ask you for strength and grace. For Lord, we can do nothing. We're going to fail without you. But with you, we can be a great success because you've made us to be fruitful. You've made us to multiply. You've made us to fill the earth and to subdue and to have dominion because that's the mandate you gave us and we thank you for it. Help us now, Lord, as we stand on our Mount Nebo, as it were, looking across to the promised life that stands before us. Help us to be those just like Joshua who caused the people of Israel to circumcise themselves afresh, to rededicate their lives to the cause of Christ. And as we do that in our hearts, we ask you to bless us and give us victory upon victory as we take the ground for Jesus. We bless you, Father. We commit to you those eight points on the wheel of revelation that you gave Ben. And Lord, we are standing behind the leaders as they take us forward to make those all a reality. We give you all the glory, Father, in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to come to a time of communion. And I want this to be a real celebration of our victory of Christ in Christ, but also a, a dedication, Lord, you can count on me, and also a reception of grace, special grace, to be able to do all that God has called us to do. So amen to that. I'm going to hand over to Andrea, I believe, and she's going to take us through this little time of communion. I did say it will take a bit longer, didn't I, guys?